Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. John, how are you doing today? Opening day finally is here. Yeah, the Twins are uh, on pace for 162-0. and zero, So Yeah, so are the Mets, baby. So are the Mets. Yeah. Feeling feeling good. Uh, no, it's it's good to have baseball back. Uh, it was nice to have MLB TV up yesterday, just catching four different games and all the highlights, all the lowlights. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. I'm excited. Yeah, I had a little bit of 4x4 four four baseball action on MLB TV, watching the Mets on TV, watching four other teams. It's pretty cool. It's glad to be back into the grind of baseball season because it is so much fun, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, I will say, like, once the Twins game started, I kind of just was watching that. But um, pitch clock was surprisingly nice. Um, it it just felt like there was constant stuff going on during the game. And I, I, I'm i sure a lot of people are saying, you know, talking about the pitch clock and, and other podcasts and whatnot. But I, I enjoyed the fact that these games are kind of going by pretty quick. Yeah, my favorite part about the whole pitch clock thing is that every announcer, because they're all older, are calling it the shot clock. So that was <laughs> very fun to hear every single announcer go, oh, yeah, the shot clock's what I mean, the pitch clock. <laughs> it was literally every time. I, I don't understand it. But, yeah, I really like the pacing. It felt natural and good. Obviously, it's moving a little fast, and sometimes we see those violations and stuff that can cause some problems. But I think it's going to be a good thing overall. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't really notice too much with the, you know, the adjustments and the shift. Although, um, Joey Gallo did come up to bat, and the Royals ended up putting MJ Melendez in short right um, instead of, uh, you know, obviously where the shortstop used to be in the old shift. So some teams are still trying to play with the shift here a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, kind of how defenses react to that that rule ban if they're going to be more willing to have you know two outfielders out there in the in the field and have you know one outfielder come in to you know the short short outfielder or if they're willing to just have that space open and you know have a guy just hit through through that first or second base hole yeah the shift is actually really interesting to follow because I saw an exact side by side of a pretty similar Jeff McNeil hit where one mm-hmm. was literally a ground out right to a player and the other one snuck through two defenders diving in both directions. So mm. I think it's yeah. going to make a huge difference. Obviously, we knew that going in that it's going to benefit some players like Corey Seager, Joey Gallo, Jeff McNeil. There's a lot of players that will benefit from it, but I think we're starting to see that benefit come to life already and even bigger than we thought. Yeah, I mean, obviously just the first game uh, of the season. We'll, we'll see how teams you know evolve over the season. Um, and, and also how batters evolve over the season, right? Um, because now batters have to kind of get used to the fact that there's just a giant hole there. Well, it's not that giant, but, you know, there's a hole there between first and second base. 
um, for for all those those batters. So um, we'll be interesting to see how that develops over the over the season. Yeah, it's giant compared to what was there before, which was absolutely nothing. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in yeah. comparison, it's really big. But yeah, yep. no, a lot of the cool rules going on already in MLB. So exciting stuff. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at This Week PL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But as we were talking about earlier, John, how was your opening day? Did you watch the whole Twins game? I know you're 1-0, but how did the Twins look? How'd it go? Yeah, New York Twins looked really good. Um, I caught most of the game. Uh, Pablo Lopez uh, was looking real nice. Um, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but um, suffice to say that the, that velocity increase that a lot of people were seeing uh, in the World Baseball Classic, that's a real thing. He is throwing harder this season, um, so that'll be cool. It was it was kind of a low-scoring game, though. It was only 2-0. Um, and came off a, uh, a Byron Buxton triple off um, Zach Grinke, and then Trevor Larnick, who is subbing in because multiple players are out. Uh, Alex Kirloff, for one, is on the IL, um, and so Larnick took his place. Uh, well, didn't exactly took his place. Gallo switched to first base, and then Larnick played left. Uh, but he he had his uh, first RBI of the season. Um, just a fun, you know, close game. It, it was Johan Duran looked real good. Um, and yeah, excited for how the rest of the season is going to go. Uh, how about you? Yeah, the Mets played very well against the Marlins. I really like how we worked Sandy Alcantara. We mm-hmm. worked the pitch counts really well. We made him go a little deep. He had four walks, which was very uncharacteristic of Sandy Alcantara. So the Mets did really well piecing together hits and making the most out of opportunities. We didn't choke in any clutch moments. I really like what we did, and I think the most impressive thing out of everything, like Scherzer had a quality start. He went six, gave up three runs, but I think the most impressive thing was the bullpen. The bullpen looked really good. Obviously, we don't have Edwin Diaz due to the WBC injury, but man, the bullpen looked great. Drew Smith, Brooks Raley, and David Robertson looked amazing. David Robertson did get the save for anyone who is looking to vulture some saves there, so the -hmm. Mets closer looks to be David Robertson, but we don't know officially yet. He just got the first crack. But they looked really good. Yeah, Robertson looks legit. Like, I mean, he he was obviously the trivia in terms of the first guy to record a save last yep. year with the Cubs. Um, but he he did look good last year in in that in that role. So um, having him, you know, originally being the setup man, but but you know, potentially being the closer for the Mets is, is kind of a nice luxury to have. Yeah, I really liked the signing when we originally signed David Robertson, even just as a setup man to Edwin Diaz. I was like, man, I really like that. I wanted the Mets to get him when he was available before the Phillies got him and the Cubs got him. Like, I wanted the Mets to sign him when he was available, and it's great to have him now, and he is stepping into that role for Edwin Diaz really nicely. So if you are looking for saves, David Robertson, if he's available on your wire or in fab, go and get him because he looks like the guy, and he looks really good. Even if he's not the guy, I think he's got the best chance. So I was someone who was even piping Adam Adovino the whole time. I think someone came on the podcast that we were interviewing and said that they think Robertson will be the guy. And I reluctantly said, I think Adovino just because Buck trusts him. And man, mm-hmm. I will admit that I'm wrong right now <laughs> <laughs> because he looked really good. And I think David Robertson is going to be the guy. Yeah. Well, and you know, Buck might, might be 
you know, keeping Ottavino as kind of maybe the fireman role or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some guys just really excel in that closer role. And it looks like Robertson is, is maybe one of those guys who, when it's the ninth inning and he's in a save situation, you know, he just becomes a different pitcher. Yeah. I completely agree with that. But we're both 1 and 0 for our teams. 162 and 0 pace, baby. We're going to the World Series. Twins versus Mets podcast rivalry. Yep. <laughs> but now that opening day is finally here, we have to highlight some of the best performances from the day. Obviously, this podcast, we don't have too much to work with, just one day of games, so it'll be a little different than our usual weekly podcast where we'll highlight each day that went by. But let's talk about some of the hitters that did really well. We'll start off with the person who hit the first home run of the 2023 season. That is Aaron Judge of the Yankees. He went two for four with that first home run. He had a solo shot and had two RBI on the day total, so he had just a good game overall. Obviously, coming off of that 62 home run season, it's nice to see him get out of the gate quickly. And I have a lot of shares of him, so I'm particularly happy about this. Yeah, I found it actually kind of interesting that uh, I think Aaron Boone had some comments where he was saying that, you know, Judge kind of knows his body now. You know, he knows, um, you know, he knows how to take care of himself. And he's like, he wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Aaron Judge challenged his home run record from last year. Um, and while I think, you know, being you know, being able to hit 62 homers is, is not something that uh, just happens every single season for, for players. I think Aaron Judge definitely kind of came back and, and showed like, hey, you know, like last year was not was not like a, a trick or anything. Like I still have the same power. You know, the offseason wasn't like that taxing for me, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not saying he's going to be having a 60 homer season. Obviously, it's too too soon to say that, but he's certainly on pace for it. So. Uh, we'll see what that looks like for Judge for the rest of the season. So, obviously, 62, like you said, is a long shot to really estimate or hope for. But mm -hmm. I really think he can hit 50 home runs again with ease. I just yeah. mm -hmm. think that's a definite possibility. And that's why, like, in drafts, it was between, for me, at least, if I had the second or first pick, it's between mm -hmm. Acuna and Judge. Now, I love Joe Ram. And, once again, third base is super shallow. So, I really like getting Joe Ram as well. And Trey Turner obviously is amazing too. But yeah. in terms of first overall pick, it's between Acuna and Judge for me this season. And I was leaning more of Judge just because Acuna, we really don't know what we'll get. We expect a 40-40 season and he's got the talent to do that. But mm -hmm. I think locking down someone who has 50 homer plus upside with probably the floor being 40 home runs, I would say, mm -hmm. is so important to lock down at the start of your draft so you have more flexibility later on in your draft. So that's why I was really harping the judge train there. Well, any hits for average, he gets he gets RBIs. I mean, like, you know, this is this is a team that right now at least the on the offensive side is is fairly healthy. Yeah. Yep. Um and I mean, you know, last year was a little bit it was a it was a little tough for the Yankees. Like there were there were some points where it's like, who is this outfield that they're trying the to get? The Yankees, you mean the judges? It was just judge by himself. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was just judge was, playing. He, he, he was just like, I, I am the Yankees. Right? I am the Yankees, so, yeah, exactly. That's why he became the captain, because they realized, man, we didn't have a team except for that guy. Right, exactly. Um, but hey, Glaber Torres hit a homer last yesterday, you know, like And stole the base. And stole the base, yeah, exactly. So like the team is the team is looking Healthy for day one, at least. I mean, we'll see how long this lasts. Rizzo and, and Stan aren't exactly, um, you know, guys who can play entire seasons. So um, we'll see how this all works out. Hopefully, hopefully, Judge does stay healthy and he he kind of, you know, maybe goes after that, that 62 mark yet again. Yeah, and also Volpe, who played in his first MLB game on mm -hmm. opening day, 
he did not record his first hit, but he drew a walk and stole a base. So that's also yep. pretty promising. Yep, my fantasy team was very happy about that. Well, not, <laughs> of not, course, not getting the not getting any hits. Of course, just you know, the walk in the stolen base was nice. Though. Yeah, the steal's always good. Yep. Moving on to someone who had an incredible performance, probably one of the best of the day, Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals, who went three for six with three runs, a home run, and two RBI. He also barreled the ball really hard, but Springer made an excellent diving catch on it in right. Otherwise, it would have been an RBI double. So. Donovan had a great day, could have been four for six, got robbed really for one of those hits. And he's just looking really good in spring. He had four home runs. He had a different approach at the plate, they said, where he's being a little bit more aggressive. And he's really seeing the ball well. He's barreling it up. He's hitting it hard. He looks like a different hitter. And he didn't have a lot of home runs last season, but four in spring, one on opening day. He's the leadoff hitter for the Cardinals, at least against righties. I really like the look of Brendan Donovan in the Cardinals lineup, and I think he's someone that if he's available on your wire or in fab, you got to go and get him because he's also eligible everywhere in terms of positions. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. I think he has at least second and third eligibility. So on Yahoo, which obviously Yahoo gives out eligibility for, I think it's five games games, started and 10 appearances. So really, you just have to walk over the position to get eligibility on Yahoo. Mm-hmm. But Brendan Donovan has first base, second base, third base, shortstop, outfield on Yahoo. Everything yeah. but catcher. Right. Yeah. So, so he can literally play anywhere, um, and I and I think he'll take that. Um, he's he's currently rostered in twenty nine percent of leagues on ESPN. I'm not sure what the Yahoo number is, but seventy one percent on Yahoo. Seventy one percent on Yahoo. I think it's because he had that hot start and people picked him up today. I think he was 58 as of last night. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, kind of shot that, up there. That, that disparity is actually kind of hilarious. Um, I think his anyways. ESPN is mainly points leagues. If I had to guess, uh, I think that's why. Okay. And I don't know how good Brendan Donovan is in points leagues. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean the, my league said ESPN and it's a categories league. So I guess I'm a, I'm a little confused. Yeah. You're the outlier on ESPN. I'm, yeah. I'm the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, if he's batting leadoff for that team, and, and we said this last year with Tommy Edmond, like if you just give a guy that shot to be like, hey, we like we trust you, we you know we we're putting you here because you know we know you have good bat skills and you know whatever, like that can give a guy confidence to, yeah. to just go out there and, and mash. Um, obviously, Brennan Donovan's not exactly a guy where you're thinking like, oh, you know, he's he's one of those major power guys, but he has a lot of nice protection behind him. And, you know, if he, he has good exit velocity as well. So I think, um, I think there's no reason to, you know, have a pick up a flyer on him, especially with that, uh, with that, uh, position eligibility. Yeah, I completely agree. And whenever anybody for the leadoff for the Cardinals, which Brendan Donovan is currently slated in as you're going to score a lot of runs. I mean, when you have Mm -hmm. Lars Nupar, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill behind you. You are going yeah. to score a lot as long as you hit the ball, and he's hitting it really good right now. So, right. And the thing with Donovan too is that it, ultimately it comes down to his hit tool, right? Like that's why, that's why people liked him. He was batting, you know, two eighty one last year, over one hundred twenty six games. Like certainly that's that's something that you can run with if you're in an OBP league, three hundred ninety four ninety four OBP. That's that's great. Um, yeah. We'll just see if the other counting stats come along with this because that's the one reason why he's you know was initially so low rostered because yep. he doesn't have the counting stats. Right. It's all about if he can get those homers and get some steals in there as well, because he might just be an empty batting average with runs and we don't know Mm -hmm. yet, but I think he's the quintessential bench bat to have. So if you Mm -hmm. need a bench bat, 
that's someone that could just fill in anywhere at any time, play, be the leadoff guy if you need runs on your team, go and get this guy if he's available. But moving on to the next player, CJ Crone of the Rockies, who went four for five with two home runs, the only double dong of opening day. Two runs, two homers, five RBI. Great game for Crone. He was really undervalued in drafts this season. People kind of slept on him, and rightfully so. Those splits are disgusting outside of Coors. But this <laughs> yeah. game was in San Diego. It was against Blake Snell, who we all expect to do much better as long as he gets rid of the changeup. But CJ Crone on the road usually is horrendous. And mm-hmm. this game was on the road. He had two home runs. It was against a good pitcher in a park that's really not the best for hitters, but it's not bad. I don't know. I think Chrome was maybe a little too slept on in drafts. I mean, he is that guy who kind of occupied occupied the same space as like Reese Hoskins, right? Like, yeah, yep. Like that guy is like a you know a, he's a top ten first baseman, but he's not a top five first baseman. Um, you know, he he for sure like you love the course factor for Crone, and I mean he he was a twin for I think I think a season. I don't know if it was two seasons, and he was like decent as a first baseman for us. Um, but he was never like a guy who were like, oh, this guy is, you know, a, a real solid, um, real solid guy that you want to be drafting early. Um, but he is that nice value at the end of a season where it's like, oh, yeah, CJ Crone, 30 homers, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like you, there was a tier for first base where it was yeah. like Reese Hoskins when he was healthy, of course, mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo, Christian Walker, CJ Crone, Josh Bell, like that was all a tier. Mm-hmm. of first baseman that you could get later on in your draft. Oh, and Rowdy Telez too. Can't throw him away, too. So yes. that tier right there, I think Chrome was being taken in the last of those. I think people were taking Rizzo and Hoskins and Walker. Rightfully so. Walker has incredible stat cast numbers. Rizzo's in a yeah. Yankees lineup. There was a lot of good reasons to take guys over Chrome, but Chrome was the last guy of that tier, and you probably got him really late in your drafts if you took him and I mean, this is a great start. I don't want to just give him flowers right now to start with because, mm-hmm. once again, those splits were horrible, horrible yeah. last season. So don't know what to expect out of Chrome, but I think we'll see some good things out of him. I would expect a 30-home run season, especially with calling his home ballpark Coors Field. Talking mm-hmm. about home runs, Alec Bohm of the Phillies went 3-for-4 with two runs, a homer, and three RBI. He had a two-run shot off of DeGrom to the opposite field. It was a missile. I mean... DeGrom got rocked. I mean, that's a different story, but is the bone breakout happening? Hey, uh, again, one of those guys who's at the tail end of third base, uh, you know, those tail, the starting third base tier. A lot of people, though, were kind of saying, you know, third base is kind of deep, right? Like, yes, the, it's super top heavy with those guys. But once you start getting to, like, you know, the the guys who are in, you know, maybe the those 10 to 12 range, 10 eight to 12 range. Maybe let's be a little bit more generous. Like those guys can actually rake and Bohm's one of those guys. Yeah. Obviously the Phillies, we expect to have a good lineup. And I think a lot of that comes from the people that we need to see more from, which is Alec Mm -hmm. Bohm. If he takes a step forward, their lineup is so much better. Derek Hall. We don't know what we're going to get out of him. If he Mm -hmm. takes a step forward, they're going to be good. Bryson Stott. If he takes a step forward, they're going to be good. So, and Castellanos, if he rebounds also, but Mm -hmm. That lineup could be really good and really scary, and they obviously were in the World Series last season because of that offense, and their pitching was pretty solid too. But Boehm, if he takes a step forward, he could be a guy that makes the third base position not look too bad because Boehm was mm-hmm. being taken late, like you said, in drafts. And if you needed a third baseman, I liked falling back on him just because of the upside, and it looks really good. I mean, hitting a two-run shot off of DeGrom is a great start. Yeah, and, and the thing with Boehm too is, I mean, he had three hard hits 
yesterday, right? So the three contact over 95 miles an hour wasn't right. actually hits. But that's always been his thing. Like, he hits the ball super hard. He was 27th in hard contact last year among, you know, all, all hitters in baseball. The problem is he just hits it into the ground too much. Yep. Um, so if he somehow has, like, improved his swing path or something here where he's not grounding the ball, you know, last last year it was actually improvement. He grounded the ball 47% of the time. The year before that was 57%. So this this dude just mashes the ball into the ground. If if that just goes down, let's just say, to league average numbers, right? All of a sudden, this is a guy who's not hitting 13 homers. He might be hitting 20. And that's that's pretty solid production for a third base if you're grabbing this guy. If you grab this guy, you know, as like the, the 10th best third baseman off the board. Without a doubt. It's definitely nice to see him starting off hot because he could be really good, especially for fantasy. Mm-hmm. Moving on to two guys who had five hit days on opening day. Adley Rutschman of the Orioles went five for five, hit one home run, had four RBI, and also drew a walk. He's the first catcher in MLB history to have five hits on opening day, so a cool little stat there. And then George Springer of the Blue Jays went five for six, four runs, and one RBI. He tied the Blue Jays' opening day hits record with five, which is pretty awesome. And just a cool fact for both of these guys, Springer and Rutschman both had five hit games on opening day, which is the first time that this has happened since 1901, which that's just wild that's like almost the start of baseball <laughs> yeah that's some uh that's some fun history there um yeah both guys Springer was kind of interesting because uh I think all of his hits were for singles or maybe yeah. four of the hits were for singles or something like that yep. um and like that's that's kind of just what you like to see from Springer right good contact like the power will come for sure um but he was playing he was playing in uh, in St. Louis too he wasn't playing you know back in a great Canadian small park now um but um yeah that was i I like that from springer and then rushman just he's the truth um i really hope that the orioles just lock him up because um a catcher uh talent like that just it would be nice if he stayed with one team Uh, of course i'm a little sentimental here because of joe mauer but um rushman is clearly a real a real uh mlb player last year was obviously an example of that but to be able to come out on opening day and, and provide that sort of performance um it's just impressive, and uh, you you hope that he stays with the Orioles, and they actually have a, a a good team there, kind of building with all these rookies that they now have. Yeah, I'm actually really upset that I don't have any shares of Adley. I kind of just skipped on him in drafts, just thinking that he'd be a good average hitting catcher with not a lot of yeah. pop, maybe 20 homers, mm-hmm. but... I just kind of skipped out on him, and the excitement is real with this kid. It looks awesome. He seems like a genuinely nice dude. Alex Fast made a tweet of where he slid into someone at second. Oh, and like, that was hilarious. Yeah, made sure they were okay and sat with him, and the trainer was like, hey, go away. <laughs> yeah, th- that was kind of funny. It was like, it's like, dude, why do you slide like that? Because he, It was a horrible him, like, slide. He, he basically like scorpion kicks the guy in the head. And yeah. It's just like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. I mean... They're both special talents. Like you said, George Springer, him just getting hits is what you want to see. Healthy and getting yep. hits because in that Blue Jays lineup, he's going to score a lot of runs and have a lot of opportunities. Yep. So Exactly. Very excited about that. Now for someone who was a hero of opening day, Ty France of the Mariners went three for four with a home run and three RBI. That home run was the game winner in the eighth. It wasn't a walk-off or anything, but it did take the lead. It was a 0-0 game, and Ty France hit that three-run homer, and it was a missile. So Ty France, someone who is kind of an afterthought at first and third base where he's eligible. He's mm-hmm. someone that's a really good hitter, but he hasn't put up good stats for fantasy. 
great average, right. but not really outstanding power numbers. Yeah. Uh, it, he's like kind of maybe the tier below Crone, you know, yes. like he doesn't have the same amount of power. The unfortunate thing is that he hit, he hits in Seattle for half of his games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he takes advantage of that with with the average, right? And so that's kind of that's kind of what you want out of a guy who maybe you know if you're if you're in a deeper league, uh, you know, your corner infield guy. That's kind of what you like out of. That's what you hope to get out of a guy like Ty France. Right. Yeah. You just want to get a good average and hopefully like twenty five homers. If he has a twenty five homer, ninety RBI, two eighty average season, he'll be way worth where you drafted him at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And that's what you really hope out of him. And then last but not least, James Outman of the Dodgers had quite a game as well. Two for three, three runs, one homer, and two RBI. He looked really good. He's obviously a prospect or rookie that's coming up for the Dodgers. He only played in a few games last season. He did hit a homer last season, so this wasn't his first career home run. But it was the first homer of the season for him. And he's going to get a lot of playing time with the Dodgers since Lux is out and Chris Taylor had a horrible spring. So James Outman is a name to be on the lookout for. Yeah. Um, in deep leagues, I think he makes a lot of sense as a pickup. Um, you know, right now, just keep an eye out for him because that is a high powered Dodgers lineup. And so he can definitely be the recipient of, you know, some help there, whether that's through runs or RBIs kind of depends on where they put him in the lineup. You know, right now he's batting eighth, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't, move up in that lineup at all um so we'll see how that all works out for Alvin but but great start for him this season yeah it's good to see and if you're in a five outfield league I think this is a guy you definitely go and spend some fab on or pick up on the waivers because he's going to have a lot of opportunity and if he hits like this or just even remotely like this it's going to be a good return for you for the outfield Mm -hmm. yep I agree But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about the pitcher performances from opening day, as well as some cool opening day facts, and just talk about opening day in general. So stay tuned. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% 
98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back, and now it's time to talk about pitchers from opening day. We have to start off with the, I mean, is it wrong to say the GOAT, Shohei Otani <laughs> of the Angels. Six innings pitched, no earned runs, a 0.83 whip, and 10 strikeouts against the Athletics. Fun little fact, the Angels still lost that game somehow. Yeah, uh, Sarah Lang said a fun tweet on this, basically. Uh, Otani's outing was the 26th since 1901. Again, you know, kind of going back to baseball history. Yeah. Where he had 10 plus strikeouts and no runs allowed on opening day. He was the 26th guy to do that. He's the first guy where the team lost the game. <laughs> My goodness, just so frustrating. Like it's so frustrating to be like I'm. I, I'm like a pseudo Angels fan. Like one of my good friends is an Angel fan, and I mean, it's hard to not root for a team that has Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on it. Yeah. But oh my goodness, just the Angels are going to Angel. Like, oh. Yeah, it, I mean, like, that's brutal. And the problem is they're playing the A's. I I don't know if you saw this tweet too. Uh, someone posted like a, a picture of what the Coliseum looked like on opening day. Yeah. And it's like maybe a, a third full. Yeah, it's disgusting. Know? And they're it's just oh god, it's the worst. Anyways. Enough ranting about that. Shohei is legit. Um, the sweeper looked great. And uh, I am so glad that he is uh, still playing baseball. Yeah, Shohei Otani is incredible. I can't believe we get to watch him. I mean, literally the first of his kind. The only person who's ever done something like this ever and had the success that he's had. I mean, it's actually remarkable. It's just a pleasure to watch him day in and day out. And man, the sweeper looked great. Ten strikeouts. Obviously, the athletics are bad, so... You can't really just say, oh, Donnie's the best pitcher in baseball right now. But yeah. he is definitely up there. I mean, this is nasty. He is absolutely filthy. Mm -hmm. Next, we have Garrett Cole of the Yankees, who, in all forms of everything, he was the first pitcher off the board in most fantasy drafts. He went six innings pitched, no earned runs, a 0.83 whip. Wow, very similar line. 11 strikeouts in a win over the Giants. Yeah, Cole looked really, really dominant. Um and, I mean, kind of ironically, uh, the other pitchers around him in that tier didn't look that great. Yeah. So on opening day. So uh, maybe a little bit of a day one validation for people who picked up Cole first in their in their drafts. But, uh, yeah, he looked good. The fastball was dominant as usual. 64% um, usage, nine whips on it, um, and seven called strikes. So, you know, pretty solid outing for him. Uh, the slider was pretty solid as well, 38% CSW. So just just a good day for Cole. Um, it's it's hard to top eleven strikeouts uh, in in an opening day start. Yeah, I think he started off the game by walking Lamont Wade Jr. on four pitches, and then he struck out like eight in a row. <laughs> <laughs> like it was actually remarkable. Garrett Cole yeah. is nasty, and anybody who took him as their first pitcher and obviously invested a first or second round pick on him, it looks mm -hmm. like it's going to pay off because this was a dominant performance right out of the gate. Right, and he only gave up four hard hits as well. So like. That's always been his his Achilles heel, right? Yep. Like just giving up the long ball, but you know he managed to keep the ball in the uh, in the field this time around. So obviously he's playing the Giants, who not exactly you know murderous row right there, but right. but still you know a good look. Yeah, no, for sure. And now moving on to your guy who you spoke about earlier, Pablo Lopez of the Twins. He went five point one innings pitched, no earned runs, a zero point nine four WHIP, eight strikeouts in a win over the Royals. So any notes about Lopez here? Because that's your boy. Yeah. 
So the fun thing about Lopez, right? What everyone knows about him is like great fastball changeup mix, right? Um, and then he, you know, combined that with a sinker, had a little bit of curveball in there over the past few years. This year he developed the new sweeper pitch, and he tossed it 22% of the time. It was the second most used pitch behind his fastball. Um, and that sweeper was deadly. Uh, it got eight whiffs on it, uh, 47% CSW. Um, the changeup looked pretty good, too. Uh, just guys were just whiffing, and it was a it was a great introduction to Twins fans for what Pablo Lopez can do. Um, obviously, if you play fantasy baseball, you know you're well aware of what Pablo can do. Um, even though part of it is that he's you know limited by injury, that was always the knock against him. But I, I think like you know the greater Twins community got to see, oh yeah, this guy's actually legit. Like you know, there's there's a little bit of the sting of losing losing Luis Arias because he was just a fan favorite. But yeah, you know, getting a guy who's could legitimately be an ace, I think, is um, an all right trade for me. Yeah, I mean, Pablo Lopez looks really good. And as you said, the WBC, he had increased velocity and it looks like it's keeping yep. up. If he could keep yep. that up the whole season and also just not get injured, mm-hmm. that is such a great acquisition for you guys yep. because Pablo I Lopez agree. looks really good. He has the potential to be an ace. Pitcherless has always loved him. He's actually a friend of Pitcherless. So very cool. Very cool. Pablo mm-hmm. Lopez is nasty. Moving on to someone who just. If you look at this list that we have written down, you can play this <laughs> thing. One of these things is not like the other. And yeah. this is the one right here. It's Marcus yeah. Stroman of the Cubs. He went six innings pitch, no earned runs, one whip, eight Ks in a win over the Brewers. You just don't expect a line like that from Stroman. And the Brewers aren't one of the best offenses in the league, of course. But Stroman dealt. He looked really good. Six innings, eight strikeouts, no runs. I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, most people probably don't have Stroman even rostered. Like I said, yeah. this name is the one that doesn't belong on this list here, but he certainly deserved it with how he pitched today. Yeah. The funny thing too, was that his velocity was down like pretty much on everything. <laughs> so it was, it wasn't probably even like his best stuff or maybe he's tinkered with something and he's realizing that like, maybe he doesn't need to throw as hard. Um, but yeah, Stroman was dominant, especially considering the fact that the guy opposite the mount on him was um, a guy named Corbin Burns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, who did not have a great day. Um, yeah, it was kind of funny. I had a team where I had Sandy Alcantara, Jacob DeGrom, and uh, Marcus Stroman all going, um, and uh, and um, Kyle Gibson, but, you know, he's an afterthought. Yeah, but yeah. out of all those four pitchers, uh, Marcus Stroman was the only one who got a quality start. Crazy. Which was just like, ah, you know, exactly why you pick up Marcus Stroman, right? He doesn't matter. He'll get you a quality start. doesn't matter how ugly or how beautiful it looks. Um, he, he's He'll get you that, that quality start. So, but yeah, good day for him. We'll see if it you know, keeps up for the rest of the year. He has a really nice start. I think he's like his next three opponents are super cushy. So um, if you have Stroman, hold on to him. If he's in your, uh, on your waiver wire, I definitely recommend picking him up at least for the next two starts. Um, And then once he's terrible, you know, once he's back to normal Stroman, you can drop him. Yeah. And he's had good seasons before, so he can piece together a good full season, but Mm -hmm. I don't expect much out of him, especially because Chicago's windy and he is more of a ground ball pitcher, but I don't know. Stroman, is kind of a tinkerer and not really sure how he'll hold up the whole season, but this is a great start and his schedule is good. So yeah, go and grab him if he's available for you and ride out the hot streak. There was actually a really cool graphic that um, Marquee Sports, I think that's the broadcaster for for the Cubs. Okay. Um, they put up where they were kind of showing where all the wind was coming in at, at oh, cool. yesterday. And it was like, I think it was like coming in like 
it was like moving balls in like 20 feet, like from coming in from left field. So oh. um, if he can kind of utilize that to his advantage, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have a good Stroman year this year. I mean, last year was his first year in Wrigley. So he's probably, you know, fully adjusted to the park now. Yep. Um, we'll see if that does anything. Yeah. That's a great tidbit there for sure. Cause I think if you're a Cubs pitcher, you have to kind of play to the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Moving on to a pitcher that I roster in my home league. Speaking of pitchers that we roster, Luis Castillo, thankfully was the only good pitcher on my roster. Nola and Hunter Green were different stories there, but yeah, Luis Castillo of the Mariners went six innings pitched, no earned runs, a 0.17 whip, six strikeouts against the Guardians, did not factor into the decision. Paul Seawald actually ended up getting the win there, but Luis Castillo pitched great. Yeah, no complaints. I mean, his velocity was down, so that was a little weird. Um, you know, it's the classic, you know, Luis Castillo in cold weather. Yep. Um, playing in Seattle, it's, you know, not that much warmer there than it was in, you know, Cincinnati. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out for him. Um, but, you know, he looked good. Uh, the real story from that day, that was the Matt Brash K against Jose oh, Ramirez. So awesome. Um, if you haven't seen that, uh, Pitching Ninja pitched, uh, tweeted out, I think Alex Fast tweeted out. Yep. Um, Oh, Joe Ram just looked silly. Oh, that was just uh, one of those fun things to watch if you enjoy pit- watching pitching. The one thing I will say, just in defense of Joe Ram, is the yeah. pitch was going to hit his leg or foot. So oh, sure. he swung at the pitch and at the same time tried to get out of the way of the pitch, <laughs> which resulted in such a hilarious fall down. But yeah. it was nasty. That pitch was so oh. filthy. It's yeah. disgusting. I mean, I would have swung out of my shoes too. So no, no offense to Joe Ram. I love you, Joe Ram. But yeah. that was crazy. Yeah, it was absolutely nuts. But ever since Castillo has buttoned up a Mariners uniform, he's mm-hmm. been really good. And yeah. I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to him this season. I think the Mariners are going to be a great team this year. Yeah, and I mean, if you're in a wins league, he's going to help out a lot there. Obviously, he didn't get it yesterday, yep. but he's going to get you know plenty of opportunities to get wins. Um, and you just know that uh, he is going to be able to keep down those ratios because that's that's kind of who he is. So it kind of it'll be exciting to see what a full season in in seattle looks like for him uh being able to play in that park um but obviously based on last the last half of last season it was it was pretty solid yeah i'm looking forward to it that's why i drafted him i can't wait (laughs) moving on to shane mcclanahan of the rays he went six innings pitch no earned runs a 0.83 whip and six strikeouts in a win over the tigers now mcclanahan is obviously an ace has amazing stuff but the tigers are also terrible absolutely terrible so just like the Shohei Otani versus the A's sort of deal. We want to see him against a very good opponent, and obviously we'll see the same of what we saw all of last season, I'm sure. Yeah, so the curveball was about a tick and a half higher. Uh, not really that notable. Really, you care more about fastball velocity. It was about a half tick higher, so nothing really interesting there. Uh, but, you know, I was getting whiffs on the changeup. Uh, it just came to work and did his job, and that's kind of all you can ask for for these aces. Yeah, McClanahan's very, very good. And speaking of someone who's very, very good and looked very, very good, someone that I was actually down on going into the season, Dylan Cease of the White Sox. He went 6.1 innings pitched, a 1.42 ERA. He's actually the only person on this list that had an ERA, which is pretty crazy (laughs) to think of. A 0.32 whip and 10 strikeouts against the Astros. His stuff was just filthy. He had 15 whiffs. I mean, 
there was a cool camera angle. I don't know if you saw the oh, yeah. tweet. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really cool where they basically, I, I don't know if it was on the catcher's shoulder or if it was on the umpire. I'm not sure I where that. it was that... on the ump. Yeah, okay. I was pretty sure it was on the ump. Yeah. So on the umpire, they had a camera and basically they showed like a Dylan C's 98 mile per hour fastball that was like high. And then they yep. showed his knuckle curve. And you're not hitting that. I mean, look how hard baseball is. If you watch that video to all the listeners out there, watch that video. And if you ever think that these guys are struggling or bad, or if you're calling them names, look at that video and be like, can I even come close to doing that? Yeah. Well, because it's so different. The important thing was that the guy in the batter's box was Jordan Alvarez. Yeah. It wasn't no schlub. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just like a, just a random, like Yanier Diaz, right? It wasn't like Martin Molino. I was like, no, it's probably one of the better hitters of this you know maybe let's just say the past two years yep so yeah cease looked real good kind of the most impressive thing was again no walks that's always been the the issue yep. with, with cease just you know walk machine you know that's why that that's why that whip always explodes so good good to see him not get any uh not give up any free passes and obviously the strikeouts are just nice with that filthy stuff yeah, no free passes against probably one of the best offenses in the league in the Astros. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I was so low on him going into the season is just because those walks and his control, like I always feel like he's one pitch away from being down five runs. And mm-hmm. obviously you could say that about any pitcher, but for him specifically with his control and his volatility, I just didn't like where he was going in drafts due to his price. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if he just does this all season, he's going to win a Cy Young award. So Right. Yeah, the, the only unfortunate thing is just that this is probably the peak of what we'd expect what what we'd expect to see from C's. Right. But if he can kind of continue something similar to this over the over the course of the season, yeah, I th- that Cy Young is just pretty much in his grasp. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then just one note quickly, Hunter Green had 8 strikeouts in 3.1 innings pitched, so that means two outs that he recorded were not by strikeout. It was really impressive. Now he was going against the Pirates, so I'm not going to explode anything, but Hunter Green looked really good, and I think there was some things that I watched, because I watched his entire start. So the one thing I can say is I think the pitch clock got to him just a few times. And the broadcast was saying that he realizes that it's a strength to him, not a weakness, and he's got to adjust to that. Yeah. And that's obviously something that everyone's adjusting to. But there was one moment, and this is specifically where I want people to not worry. And in general, I'll, I'll say something in the adage afterwards, but... Hunter Green was pitching against O'Neill Cruz, mm-hmm. and he got him into an 0-2 count, and then he got an automatic ball called on him for some reason. I forget exactly what happened, but he had an automatic ball called on him, and then he was kind of flustered, and then he looked like he deliberately sped up because the next pitch, he like sailed way out of where he wanted to throw it, mm-hmm. and then the next one was like in the dirt, and he had no control after that. Like It rattled him. like It visibly rattled him. And then the next pitch was just 100 miles per hour down the middle of the plate. And O'Neill Cruz hit it for a home run. So, yeah, like, he crushed that one. <laughs> yeah, it was a missile. So, the one thing I want to say is that, like, Hunter Green, obviously, the line doesn't look too good. He gave up three runs. He, his whip was a little eh. 3.1 innings pitched, eight strikeouts. The strikeouts are great. And I think that as time goes, he's mm-hmm. obviously someone who's volatile, but he could be unbelievable. Yeah. He clearly has a lot of hype surrounding him this season. Yes. Um, the ceiling is incredibly high for Hunter Green. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's a dark horse Cy Young candidate at all, but there's there's the potential where he could actually, you know, somewhat thrive in a Great American Small Park. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 
the short the short field is always going to be tough for him but if he really improves his stuff specifically like you know makes that fastball just a little less hittable um i there's definitely just the yeah the he is such a high ceiling yeah the one thing i can say is he was locating that fastball up and that's what you want to see out of green that's yeah. the key mm-hmm. if he gets that in the middle danger but if he gets yeah. it up unhittable unhittable especially paired with that slider so I'm looking forward to green. It's going to be an up and down season, I think, to start. So just bear with him. But in general, his upside is just immense. Obviously, the start was against the Pirates, so temper expectations. But the strikeouts are real, and I think he could be dominant. Now, the one thing I want to say just to everybody, because this is common for all of us. We're all human. We all play fantasy baseball. The one thing I want to say is, Guys, it's one day of games. Don't freak out. Even me, <laughs> at a slight second, Aaron Nola goes through three innings, no hits given up in one walk. I'm like, man, Ugh. yes, my ace. He looks so good. And then the next inning gives up five runs. And I'm like, what a waste. Why did I do that? Why did I take him? I could have took a bat. What am I doing? Don't freak out, guys. It's one day of games. It's a long season. Don't make any panic decisions. Just stay calm everything's going to be okay. Just remember that. I want everyone to remember that just because you're ace like Corbin Burns, because look around the league, most aces got shelled. The ones that we highlighted, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitchers, literally seven pitchers pitched fantastic. Everybody else kind of got rocked. So don't, (laughs) don't be upset. Don't overreact. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing too was, uh, again, this is coming from Sarah Legs. Um, Yesterday, there were five shutouts recorded on opening day, and that's the most uh, – it's the second most in, in terms of baseball history. So okay. because of that, some of these pitchers look really, really good, right? Yep, like, of course. Like, oh, wow, you know, like uh, Shane Mack threw, threw a, you know, six innings, no runs. Um, you know, Garrett Cole, obviously, six innings, no runs. Shohei, six innings, no runs. Um, but, yeah, you contrast that with all the other guys who were drafting around him, right? Like, I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit – DeGrom going 3.2 innings was a little scary. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it was like, oh, is that injury? No, he was actually just bad. Yeah, know? he was just like, bad. It was crazy like, to oh, see. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that then. You know, like Sandy being a third of an inning away from a quality start. Um, incredibly frustrating. But at the same time, like, you know, like it's it's one day. Um, if you're in a roto league, it all averages out, right? If you're in a head-to-head league, you still have a week to catch up. Yep. Um, yeah, like your season – as much as we like to overreact is not made on day one. Um, so uh, yeah, that you can't win your season on day one. You also can't lose your, your season on day one either, unless you're one of those guys who, you know, managed to pick up Reese Hoskins, Edwin Diaz and Brennan Rogers on your draft. Then, <laughs> then we're really sorry for you. Yeah. It's just a PSA to not panic because we all do it. We're all human. Yeah. Don't panic. Everything's going to be okay. It's just one day, but Let's move on to some interesting stuff around opening day because a lot of cool things happen. And I really want to point to this tweet from Alex Fast because mm-hmm. I think yep. it really shows what this season's going to be. And I was saying this all off season, which I'm very happy about. But Alex Fast tweeted, stolen base opening day comparison. Now, he compared 2022 opening day to 2023 opening day in terms of steals. In 2022, there were five stolen bases on opening day. There were four caught stealings. Obviously, that's a success rate of 56%. But once again, there was only nine attempts. In 2023, on opening day, there were 21 stolen bases and two caught stealing for a success rate of 91%. That's 23 attempts compared to nine on one day of games. So that's remarkable. I thought in general that steals were going to go up 25%. 
That's what I had it. That's what I've been saying all offseason. I either said 20 or 25, but just in that realm, that's how much steals are going to jump up. And just by these numbers, it might even be more than that. I mean, everyone is running. People aren't getting caught as much. It's actually wild. The fact that there were 23 attempts, right? Like, that's that's double. La- that's more than double last year. Yeah. And they were succeeding. And so uh, it's really interesting to see this, and I'm hoping it stays for the rest of the season, right? Like, so last year, we you know we saw a bunch of guys go run in spring training, and then it didn't translate to the yes. rest of their season. But I think it's good in terms of just like a day one case that whoever that even though that they were sending them in spring training, they're also now going to send them in the regular season. And so I think that's that's exciting. Um, it's it's fun to watch, and I'm looking forward to more more stolen bases. Yeah, it just brings you back to the days that I remember as a kid, and I'm not that old, I'm only 30 years old, but I remember the era of Kenny Lofton and Ichiro and mm-hmm. people that stole bases all the time, Ricky Henderson towards the latter half of his career, like all these guys that made stolen bases really cool and playing the game fundamentally smart was beneficial. And the pitch clock, the shift ban, the bases, it's really bringing it back to that. And I love that form of baseball. Like I'm super excited about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was um, uh, on ESPN Daily, Jeff Passan was talking about how with these rule changes, like, you know, you'd think that the people who, you know, would not be a fan of these rule changes are kind of like you know, the old, like, oh, baseball tradition, you know, sort of people. But in some respects, like the rules that MLB's put in this season are kind of similar to like how baseball was played, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yep. And that's not to say that, you know, baseball regressed in the past 10 years. I think we've we've gone so much farther with you know analytics and and with how great like pitching has become and agreed you, know, you can see um you know aaron judge hitting 62 homers like clearly like something is working but part of it was yeah we lost some of the fun stuff we lost you know stolen bases were down um games were taking forever to finish um i i just think these these small incremental changes that mlb's made um, yes, it might be annoying, and we'll talk a little bit about how you know some people got some automatic strikes for some stupid reasons. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, like it, it just makes baseball a much more fun product to watch, and I I really enjoy that. I couldn't agree more with that. It's very awesome. But some other cool things that happened on opening day, we'll just run through these really quick. Hunter Renfro made an insane no look catch. It made no sense. He really just made a mistake in the outfield, and then just threw his glove up and didn't look and caught it. Yep. And it was wild. It was like the modern-day Jumpman Jordan pose. It was insane. I don't know. If you didn't see the clip, go and watch it because I can't describe it to you just vocally because it was insane. I just don't understand. Yeah, he literally just stuck out his glove and it's like, oh, the ball's there. (laughs) Yeah, and it looked like he purposely did it, but he didn't. And it was really cool. I don't know. It looked awesome. It was an incredible catch. Also, Adam Wainwright surprised everybody on the field by singing the national anthem. He was lined up. And then they announced him as the singer for the National Anthem, went and killed it for the National Anthem. Well, it was pretty wild. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he truly killed it. He True, was right. <laughs> but he gave it his best shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this is maybe one of those circumstances where I'm like, stick to pitching. Maybe. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Hey, he's on the IL right now, right? Like, give him a, he can do some singing. Yeah, what else can he do, right? Yeah, yeah. He's been practicing singing lessons in his spare time. What else can he do? Yep. Rafael Devers was the first batter called out on a strike three pitch clock violation, which I thought was interesting. And then on the flip side, Marcus Stroman was the first pitcher to have a pitcher pitch clock violation. So both of them are the first, I guess, martyrs for the new pitch clock system. (laughs) Yeah. 
which is interesting to see. Rafael Devers was like, what, man? Like, come on. But he did take a long time. He, like, got in the box, and then they gave him, like, an, even an extra second to look up, yeah. and he just yeah. didn't do it. So that was on right. him. But, yeah, that was interesting to see that happen in the first major league games. And then, as you were saying before, Pete Alonso gave Jeff McNeil an automatic strike for not getting back to first base fast enough. Now, the thing about this before I throw it to you is uh-huh. I found the exact quote for the rule. And mm-hmm. the rule is, the clock won't start until everyone is back to their position. The first requirement for starting the clock is that the pitcher has the ball and is on the yep. dirt of the mound. But for uh-huh. instance, if a ball is fouled off down the line and the fielders run after it, and potentially any base runners take off, the clock for the next pitch will not start until everyone on the field has returned to their position. So I Mm -hmm. think the ump got it wrong in this instance. Like, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't have been awarded a strike. They should have just said, hey, you know, get back to first faster because we are trying to keep the pace up. And that would have been fine because it clearly says that the clock doesn't start until everyone's back. Now, you could say Pete was, like, taking a long time, but he doesn't know. This is still new. So... Tell them. Don't give us a strike for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, not getting back to first base fast enough, like, if anything, just have the pitcher pick him off. Yeah, right. Right. And maybe maybe there's something there with, like, you know, oh, we don't know when we can pick him off because the clock hasn't started, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, I think this was a good, let's just call it experiment for day one of baseball. Right, we we understand now how this rule kind of works. Right, uh, if it was executed incorrectly, like you know, maybe it makes more sense for, you know, the umpires to be like, "Hey, you need to be back here," or it's a, it's a strike, or you know, or you right, get yeah, off yeah, or you know, something like that. Yeah, because in the rules currently, it doesn't say that. It says the pitch clock will start after everyone is ready. So mm-hmm. Jeff McNeil was clearly saying, "Hey, Pete's not ready. Hold on," and then they gave him right. a strike for it. So. Right. I don't like that. Obviously, that has to be tightened up a little bit, or the rules have to be, you know, clarified a little bit more clear. Right. But in general, I just I'm glad it's out of the way, and it didn't result in any problems because McNeil ended up getting a hit, and we scored mm-hmm. a run, so it was all good. Right. But that is a problem that I'm glad is addressed day one, and not you know in a crucial point in the season. You know. Right. Exactly. And then last but not least, there was a fan that went on the field <laughs> at Dodger Stadium to propose to his significant other, and. He went by himself, which was strange, got on the field, took out a ring, got on one knee, and, like, looked at the crowd. So I don't know if he was proposing to the entirety of the Dodgers stadium, (laughs) but he was proposing. And one of my favorite clips of this is there's a video angle of Lourdes Gurriel Jr. walking to his position, and the guy's on the field and proposing, and he's got his hands up like, yeah, way to go, let's go. And, (laughs) And then the security guard comes and just absolutely NFL linebacker tackles this guy to oh, the ground. It was a beautiful tackle. It was a beautiful tackle. And Guriel puts his hands on his head like, oh no, what's going on? And it was <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, first of all, I just agree. I think security's right in tackling him. Maybe it could have tackled him a little bit easier. I the guy obviously wasn't like hostile or causing a problem. He was just right, doing yeah. a stupid bit for social media and proposing. But he definitely should be evacuated from the field, and you shouldn't do that ever, like ever. Yeah. It's so stupid. And I don't know what significant other would want you to do that either. Like, you're not even with them. Like, how do you give them the ring? How do you kiss them? How do you say, no, like, yeah. I don't understand. But it just was really funny on opening day. Yeah, a great form in that tackle. Yeah, that security, that security guard. guard should probably beautiful. get signed to an NFL team. He looked sharp. He should Absolutely definitely get a promotion. Beautiful. 
<laughs> but now we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Kevin O'Brien to talk about his article, Randy Rosarena, Complicated Star. Stay tuned. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and joined by Pitcherless writer Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on and I'm really ex- excited to be on the on the podcast and uh, talking a little bit about uh, fantasy baseball, especially uh, Randy Rosarena. So for people who don't know about you, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been playing fantasy baseball, or what team you're a fan of, just some fun stuff about you. So I am a, and for a day job, I work in educational administration. So I work uh, you know, at a K-8 school here in Kansas City. Uh, but I've been a longtime fantasy baseball player since uh, college back in 2006. Um, I have also uh, been writing for Pitcher List for about three years now. Um, mostly contributing to the going deep section as well as to the batter's box uh, week uh, column, which I contribute on Sundays. And um, I also run my own uh, blog, which is uh, Kansas City Royals specific called The Royals Reporter at RoyalsReporter.com. Um, so uh, I have a, just a deep love for, for baseball, fantasy baseball and Royals baseball. And um, I love talking and writing about it when I get the chance. And we're excited to talk to you about your article, Randy Arozarena, Complicated Star, which was a great read, by the way. Thank you. Randy is kind of one of those fun guys. Obviously, you start off the article talking about, um, you know, his WPC performance and just how great he was for Team Mexico. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of the hope that he builds on that this this upcoming season with the Rays. 
Um, but the the first thing you mentioned that you know that, that's interesting or that's maybe problematic with with Randy is his plate discipline uh, or basically his lack thereof. Um, what are some of those major contributors to that lack of discipline at the plate? Is it because he kind of employs more of a re swinging style, or does he just struggle with identifying balls and strikes? I think it's you know that's always a really tough a tough question, and that was something I you know I try to dive deep in, and mm-hmm. it's still something that I think that is it's a work in progress. I think a lot of it has to be, you know, we, we really haven't seen a a full season from Randy Rosarena, even though he's been in the league since 2019, he really didn't have a full season until 2021, you know, you know, 2019, he only had a 19 game sample with the cards, you know, in 2020, he had only 23 games and then he had that crazy playoff run. And then we kind of saw 2021, 2022. One of the things that I do notice about his plate discipline is we've kind of seen a bit of improvement in terms of contact rate. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. look at the on fan grass and, you know, looking at contact rates over the years and we kind of seen him go from about a 64.7% contact rate back in 2020 to 69 in 2021 to 73.5. So it kind of makes me think that I think part of it, there's some kind of uh, just free swinging approach. You know, I think he's, you know, he's, he swings about, 46% of the time last year, which is kind of around the league average. So it's not like he's necessarily free swinging. It might just be, I think it's more of a pitch recognition thing. Mm-hmm. And I think he's starting to get more comfortable because we, we've seen a 5% increase from 2020 to 2021 and then a 4% from 2021 to 2022. So I think a lot of it has been a pitch recognition, but I also think it's just seeing more professional at bats at the major league level. And I think we're, we're going to, we're starting to see some improvement though. He's not going to be, you know, con, con, uh, making anybody think that he's a, uh, you know, a walk machine anytime soon. Right. Like there's a, there's a very helpful table you have in your article looking at just contact and strike data. I just, just find it interesting. Like his swinging strike rate has gone down about 3% since 2020. Um, but then, you know, his O swing actually went up, which doesn't actually isn't necessarily a bad thing if you can make contact on those O swings that it's uh it can be helpful. But it is interesting that he has cut down the swinging strike rate strike rate, but then as a result maybe not as a result, but like kind of at the same time his O swing rate has gone up. Right. Exact exactly. And that's and that's what and that's one of the, the kind of the biggest conundrums with him because you know, typically, you know, when you see guys increase contact rate, decrease swing and strike rate, you would think, Oh, hey, you know, he's probably swinging less less pitches out of the zone but last year he swung more out of the zone um but so so that's that was really interesting um but also kind of seeing his uh increase in called strike rate was really interesting as well you know going from going from 17 percent in 2021 to 18 percent in 2022 uh, and, and that kind of negated his kind of the cold strike plus whiff and it was kind of the same um but you know we did see that cold strike plus whiff um kind of go down from 2020 so I, you know, so I think it's, there's some really interesting things to pay attention to. I think um, again, is this a pitch recognition thing? Is he just becoming more comfortable and better at seeing um, pitches and recognizing those breaking pitches? And um, and is he is his approach going to change? Is he going to be swinging more? Is he going to kind of is that going to kind of stabilize? Um, I think those are going to be really important things to pay attention to in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Randy is such an interesting player, too, because he has so much upside and potential. But in your article, you bring up a Rosarena's contact ability, which is one of our new PLV metrics. He's clearly an above-average hitter when it comes to making contact. 
However, the results of the plate would dispute that. So what's with the difference in results here? Yeah, I think that was really interesting too. So again, you know, I've, I've really just really been diving into a lot of, um, you know, our new PLB, um, you know, charts from, uh, you know, that are available on PL Pro and, you know, and it's, it, it really, that was the one kind of chart that really stuck out to me because you're, you're looking at a guy who's ranking in the 75th percentile regularly um, and is well above the major league average in contact frequency. So, but, you know, it doesn't show in some of those other stats, you know, it doesn't show, you know, it, you know, it doesn't really show in, in contact percentage or it doesn't really show in rolling, you know, expected um, WOBA, um, you know, or WOBA, um, you know, so, you know, in terms of what, um, I, th- I think we see is that, you know, he has a very strong ability to make contact. Uh, but again, what kind of contact is it? And you look, and if you look at batted ball data and, um, you know, a lot of ground balls, I mean, he had a 50% ground ball rates. Um, and, you know, and when you combine that too, with not exactly the hardest hit, even though it was really interesting that his max EV was 114.1, which is, you know, really high. That's, you know, if you look at kind of percentiles, you know, that's that's some of the upper percentiles from last year. But, you know, if you're you're hitting it on the ground, you don't have much launch angle. His launch angle has never been higher than 9.2 degrees on average. And that's, you know, pretty below for a guy who's supposed to be a power hitter. You know, th- th- those are things that I think we have kind of down have really hurt his overall stat line so even though he has this really strong ability to make contact these other flaws not you know not launching the ball um not consistent barreling the ball not consistent um exit velocity on batted on ba- uh, batted balls kind of makes his kind of de- depresses a lot of his uh overall stat line yeah it's crazy because also like a rosarena is kind of deemed as you said a power hitter which is crazy because he has like a powerful build and he's very strong, but he's never eclipsed over 20 homers in a season. I would almost consider him more of a speed guy nowadays. He's got 20 stolen bases in 2021 and then 32 in 2022, but 20 in 2021 and 2022 in home runs for that. So that's pretty interesting that like his contact ability, because his average has gone down every season so far. I mean, obviously small sample sizes in 2019 and 2020, but his average just kind of keeps going down. So it's such a strange thing to look at and try to understand absolutely and i think that's you as a you know as a fantasy baseball player you're trying to find okay like what what does randy rosarena kind of satisfy you know is he my is he my power guy is he my speed guy you know um you know because it it feels like which skills are going to really mature like in 2023 you know obviously you know he's a guy it's like hey he's 2020 um but, you know, it's also just really interesting, too, is that, you know, Rosarena was not a very efficient, you know, base stealer by any means. You know, right. he had 12 caught stealing last year, 10 caught stealing. And if you look at base running runs, you know, on fan graphs, um, you know, he, he was minus 4.3 base running runs below average. You right. Know? Yeah. A lot of that was getting caught at the plate. I think he was I, I don't have the exact stat, but I think he was one of the top uh, players in the league in terms of being caught or being thrown out on the base paths, um, whether it's a stolen base or, and, you know, and, th- and that, you know, if you're playing in leagues where runs is valuable, you know, that's not good. And I right. saw that, um, you know, from 2021 scoring 94 runs to go into 72 runs, despite having 40 more plate appearances, you know, that 
it's like, yes, he ha- he's going to give you stolen bases, but is he going to give you runs, you know, in those kind of five category leagues? You know, I'm not sure. That's actually a really good point too, that the run difference from 2021 to 2022 with 40 more plate appearances. I mean, that's a significant amount. 20 less runs scored is pretty wild for having more plate appearances and arguably having a better season. So I don't know if that has more to do with his aggression on the base pass and getting thrown out or how bad the race lineup was. Like, I'm not sure, but that is definitely an anomaly. That's so strange. It really is. And I, you know, I think if you look at kind of team stats and, you know, you look at base running runs, you know, the Rays, you know, they, they tended to, I feel like they were in pretty good shape last right. year. So looking that up. And again, you also just look at, you know, Tampa Bay, they ranked 11th. So they ranked 11th in, in, in base in, in overall base runs above average. And this was with a guy that was a total drain on that in Randy Rosarena. You know, when you look at a, a, a club that's as organ- analytically, you know, advanced as the Rays, are they going to hold him back this year? You know, are they going to hold him back on, on, on base running? And, that, and I think those are going to be some really interesting questions to see if, you know, they kind of saw, hey, maybe we're not going to take as many risks with Randy on the base pass. And will that deflate stolen base and runs, which puts more pressure on him to produce in terms of his hitting. Right. Yeah, I will say, as someone whose home league does net net steals, um, a Rosarena is incredibly frustrating. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, he's a 2020 guy. Well, actually, he's more of a 2010 guy in my league. So. Oh, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. Um, but the one that, another thing to point out about your article that I really enjoyed, um, obviously, very analytics heavy with, you know, looking at PLU metrics and stuff like that. Uh, but then you included some interesting stuff, uh, scouting-wise, specifically uh, referencing a tweet from Andrea of Scoutco Report, um, who was basically looking at some stance changes uh, for a Rose and Reina. Basically compared the 2022 season and the and then the WBC um, during spring training. Could you go into a few more details here about how this change might be uh, helpful to a Rose Reina this year? Yeah, I, I saw her saw her tweet during the WBC, and you know it was kind of funny because I had I had I had begun writing and researching this article before that tweet came, and and then I felt like that was like, hey, that was something I really didn't notice. I mean, I think it's really hard with spring training unless you're kind of following the team like really religiously. Like you know, obviously I know what's going on with the Royals, like with Royals players, but I'm not paying attention to what Rays players are necessarily doing in spring training as much as like with the same kind of fervor that I would for a Royals player. So when I kind of saw Andreas kind of noticed that um, I, I thought it was just really interesting. I think just from a, like a scouting in um, you can just, you could kind of see like his hands being more uh, perpendicular to the ground and lower and just kind of a lot more relaxed with the bat. And it's also just, you could see like the vision, um, you know, he looks like he could ha- like his, his, his head is a little bit more open and, you know, and if pitch recognition is an issue for Randy Rosarena, which I, I think it might be, you, you would hope that this kind of change will give him more opportunity to kind of see pitches better, see them sooner, rather than the old swing where he had kind of like he, his more his elbows up and more like his his shoulders closed. Um, and, and we kind of saw that stance really, you know, really produce results in the WBC. And, and of course, WPC pitching is not major league baseball pitching necessarily. It's like for every, you know, uh, Shohei Otani that pitches for Japan that you face, you also face, you know, 
some guys from like Czech Republic and, and, and Israel and who, who might not be necessarily like the same level. Um, but, you know, you kind of see, again, from the limited samples that we saw, you know, just a little bit more fluidity with his swing um, and a little bit more able to kind of get uh, get to different areas a lot quicker um, than we kind of saw last year, which I think is going to be really interesting to see how that progresses this year. Yeah, the WBC really turned Randy Rosarena into a folk legend. He was just on everybody's mind because, well, first of all, he's shagging fly balls in the outfield with cowboy boots on. Everyone was commenting about that. They're like, oh, man, John Smoltz had like a horrible take. He's like, oh, you wouldn't catch me dead shagging balls with a cowboy boots on. And then he made that home run robbery play. He's like, I guess you could shag balls in whatever you like to wear. <laughs> it, was just, it was definitely a funny a little going back between Smoltz and Arena, but Arena was just having fun, striking the pose, posing with Otani. It was just an awesome WBC for Randy Rosarena, and he really just took on a whole life of his own of being a lot of people's favorite players now. I mean, especially if you're from Mexico, I mean, I can only imagine that Randy Rosarena is your favorite player. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, what, what makes him such an interesting star and, and kind of a complicated star because... You know, again, WBC, but, you know, Mexico had a good WBC, and there's a lot of major league players on that team. It's not yeah. like, hey, he was the only one on there. It's, you know, all those, pretty much everybody in the in the starting lineup had major league experience in one way or the other. And, you know, and, you know, I think talent-wise, you, you could argue that Mexico is not that far off, you know, from kind of the juggernauts like USA and Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Um you know, so I mean, I, I would say talent-wise, they're definitely probably better than like a Korea, Korea or Chinese Taipei in terms of major league talent. And um, so, and so I think it's like for him to really stick out, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, hey, if he can, if he can kind of have this role on the in Team Mexico, is he can he really even embrace it even more in Tampa Bay? Um, because I feel like he's kind of there, but I also I kind of feel like I don't. Again, as somebody who's not necessarily a race fan, I don't feel like he is that guy, but. Maybe that changes. Maybe he becomes that guy, and it's it's a Randy Rosarena show, you know, from 2023 on. Yeah, it's hard to say, too, because obviously they have players like Shane McClanahan, who's super well-liked in the Rays. They got Glasnow, who's a big superstar as well. Wander Franco, who's coming up and taking that. Like, they always have the prospects. They never hold on to somebody for too long to be their star. I mean, their last big star was who? Evan Longoria? Like, that yeah. was their, their big guy, so... Randy, I think, could take a life of his own in Tampa Bay, but it's almost like not about him, and who knows how long he'll be there. Right, and, you know, he has three years left of arbitration after this year. You know, it, it hasn't seen, like, he, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to settle for, like, a Wander Franco, like a like a what Wander Franco did. Like, right. you know, he's going to he's gonna want more. And, you know, he's 28 years old, too. You know, I, I don't think the Rays are going to be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to give a 10-year deal to a guy that could be, that's going to be 29 at the end yep. of the year. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. But now we're going to do one of our favorite segments for when we talk about articles of a single player. We're going to compare them with people who have similar profiles and see who you like most for the rest of the fantasy baseball season. So we've got Randy Rosarena or Michael Harris II. Who do you prefer for fantasy baseball? For me, I prefer Rosarena. And, and again, I'm... You know, if you're just playing in standard leagues, you know, redraft leagues, you know, I, I always tend to favor, okay, which guy has the skill set that feels a little bit more safe, um, you know, especially in the outfield. Uh, you, know, you know, that was one of the things I just kind of felt 
as I went through multiple drafts was, you know, outfield dried up really quick, you know, and I, I feel like it was like, whoa, like I'm really, I'm having to fill four, like multiple outfield spots. And by the time I'm getting to my third outfielder, it feels like I'm, there's, there's going to be a lot of like question marks or a lot of wild cards. Um, and so, I, so for me, like, I'm not saying that Harris is a wild card, but there are some concerns, right? It's you look at him last year, he had a strikeout rate um, of 24.3. Um, you know, you look at his kind of, you look at his contact rate um, last year, you know, he had, you know, a, 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 a 73.5% contact rate, but he had an O swing percentage of 41.7, which was, you know, almost that was 8.3% higher than Randy's. Um, so, it, and again, he also ha- had a, a 13.8% swing and strike rate. So, you know, those, those are concerns and it makes you wonder like what's year two going to look like, how are pitchers going to adjust to him now that they have a year of tape? Um, you know, how is he going to adjust? So, I, I, so for me, like I'm going Randy Rosarena though, you know, if you're kind of in those like net steals leagues, you know, like, like if you talked about like, you know, obviously Mullins is the better play. I mean, cause I mean, Mullins only got caught um, twice last year, you know, for, for steals, you know, it's with a 20 to two mark while, you know, Rosarena got caught 12 despite having 32 stolen bases. Right. John, what about you? Randy Rosarena or Michael Harris, the second. Yeah, I think for me, it, maybe this is kind of like the old crotchety baseball fan in me, but it's like, I don't want to trust a guy in his second year. You know, it's like the first year, it, I'm not saying he got lucky because Michael Kares clearly has some skills, but it's like Randy has at least a little bit more track record of delivering on a, you know, a 2020-ish season. Um, and so I, I'm kind of more inclined to, to lean with Randy in, in this scenario here. Um, granted, he's only done it for two seasons as opposed to Michael Harris, who had a, a 19, 20 season. Um, so it's not like Randy has this much better of a track record, I guess. Um, but yeah. And the, I think the other thing too, um, for Michael Harris is, uh, his walk rate. Cause it was a lot lower than it has been in the minors. And I think that's just kind of really abnormal for a rookie to have a better walk rate facing major league pitching than compared to when he was playing in the minors mm-hmm. or, Actually, no, sorry. I have that completely mixed up. He has a lower walk rate in the majors, which is what you would expect out of a uh, a rookie hitter. So um, he just won't be getting, you know, on base maybe as much as Rosarena would be, even with a Rosarena's low walk rate. So uh, I think I'm inclined to maybe go Randy here just as, just as a safer play when you're drafting your, you know, outfielder one or maybe your outfielder two. Um, and then, you know, when you're when you're in the baseball season. Um, I just think it's, I like to go with safer plays when you're dealing with high-end talent. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with the clean sweep and also choose Randy. Now, it's funny because Michael Harris, I think in preseason, his draft stock was much higher than Randy's, like at least a round. So it's pretty remarkable to think that Harris was going maybe 10 to 12 picks before Randy, considering that Michael Harris really hasn't done it more than once. And I'm with John in this boat as well. John knows my philosophy on it. I really want to see you do it twice. And the underlying numbers for Michael Harris just didn't look that great. And I think the big thing here is if Michael Harris was leading off every day for the Braves with Acuna behind him, then Matt Olson, then Austin Riley, then it's a different story. But the fact that he's batting seventh or eighth 
or six. Like his plate appearances aren't going to be that much, and I think it's going to be harder to repeat his run totals, his stolen bases when he's batting in that part of the order. So for me, I'm going to go with Randy as well. I agree with both of you. Yeah, and I and I totally agree with that. You know, I think it's like you know that the Rays are going to um, really look at at Rosarena as a center uh, centerpiece of this offense. And yeah, and like I, with Harris, you know, he just I, I talked about Rosarena's low launch angle. You know, Harris was even half that, and it's um, and he has even a higher ground ball rate. And what happens when the Babbitt flips, you know, a 361 Babbitt for for Harris, you know, mm-hmm. will that that flip, you know, in this year, even if it regresses, you know, 30 points, that's going to have a major impact and he doesn't have as much value. Yeah, right. yeah, definitely agree. Now, second player, Randy Rosarena or Cedric Mullins? Kevin, kick us off. Yeah, this one was tougher. And, and, and I guess, you know, you look at, you know, Mullins definitely had a down year. You're, you're concerned about, Things like the barrel rate, you know, decline, and it, you know, you're looking at um, obviously the home run decline, and you worry about that too with just the ballpark modifications. Though I think it hurts left-handed hitters less than right-handed hitters. Right. Um, uh, but you know, it's really interesting because you know, it's you look at what he did. It's you know, you, barrel rate was in half, hard hit rate was kind of similar, and. What I, love, what I love about Mullins is like I, he he strikes out less, um, so he feels like a safer play. You know, when it comes to like walk to K ratios, you know, I think if you're looking, you know, looking at stolen bases, um, you're kind of in the same boat. He had ten stolen. He was caught ten uh, ten times, though. It seems like he was a much better, safer run producer as he had eighty nine runs. Um, you know, I think it's a coin flip, but I just feel like. The regression that we saw um, from from Mullins from 2021 to 2022 kind of makes me more cautious rather than rather than a Rose Arena. While we've seen more positive trends, um, you know, it's like there's only a three WRC plus difference for a Rose Arena, while with Mullins it was a 30 WRC plus difference. Um, so that so to me, like, it's not so much that I think Mullins is that much better. But I don't. I'm not as fan of like a, a guy with that much decline from one year to the next compared to Rosarena, which has which had produced more of the same in 2021 and 2022, but in like slightly different ways. So you are Randy Rosarena over Mullins for this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, John. What about you? Yeah, I think I go with Randy as well. Um, I mean, I to me it is kind of a coin flip. Like um, the, their numbers are so eerily similar. Um, like a um, Cedric's slash line was 258, 318, 403. Yep, and then you look at um, Randy's slash line was 263, 327, 445. So, like, just like a like you know, 10 ish points higher in all those metrics compared to Mullins. Um, you know, 16 homers versus 20 homers, 34 steals versus 32 steals. Um, it, it really could come down to a coin flip, I, I think maybe what makes me lean to Rosa Reina just a little bit more is like just the, the power feels a little bit more consistent. Um, not saying that, you know, Mullins is, is inconsistent, but going from 30 homers to 16 homers um, just isn't a great look. Um, maybe he could blame it a little bit on, on the changes at, at Camden last year. Uh, but it, it is kind of weird seeing that. Whereas Randy at least consistently produced 20 homers two years in a row. Um, and then, you know, seven homers in a shortened season. If you extrapolated that out, you know, he probably could have gotten 20 in a full season there too. 
Um, so I, I think if I'm looking more for a true power speed combo, uh, I'm I'm leaning more towards uh, Randy just because the the batted ball metrics are just a little bit better on his side. Okay. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm going to be the outlier here. I'm going to choose Cedric Mullins. I think Mullins is just for fantasy purposes a better player, and and the reason being for that is. If his down season is 16 home runs, 34 steals, 258 batting average, sign me up all day long. Sign, if that's going to be my guy's worst outcome or one of the worst outcomes, let's say his worst outcome, which I think we can all get behind, is 10 home runs, 30 steals. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that because Randy, you know, the power, once again, we've never seen him eclipse 20 home runs. So let's say his worst scenario is 15 home runs. And Randy's best scenario for steals is 30. But I think Mullins has more upside for stealing, especially with the base changes. I think the lineup for the Orioles is a little bit more exciting, actually, than the Rays, which I just believe in Adley a little bit more and Mountcastle and just the people surrounding him there. And I just think that Mullins for fantasy is going to give you more than Randy can give you. Now, Randy's upside, I would say, of like maybe being a 25-45 kind of guy is good, but Mullins literally went 30-30 in 2021. And... Mm -hmm. Sure, that might be an outlier for his whole career. We don't know yet. We've only seen two seasons out of him. But if you're going to give me a guy saying he's going to hit 15 homers, steal 30 bases, who's more likely to do that? I would say Mullins is more likely than a Rosarena to do that. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's why, like both Kevin and I, think it's a coin flip because yeah, yeah. you know the the I think I think Mullins' ceiling is definitely higher. It's just is he going to reach that ceiling? Right. Yeah. No, without a doubt, I think it's a coin flip as well. And I'm going to go with the tail side and pick. Cedric Mullins. Now the last one, and this one's very interesting as well. Randy Rosarena or Adolis Garcia. Kevin, what do you think about this one? This one was probably the toughest of the bunch uh, because I, I think it a, a lot depends on on your league. You know, if if you're yeah. like in a, a standard five five cat league where batting average, it's really hard to justify with Adolis Garcia. I I don't know if he's going to be like a guy that's going to hit higher than. 260 you know i don't know if he has that upside just because he strikes out so much yep his contact rate is so low um but if you're like in an ops league or an obp league you know it's you know ops definitely looks better um yeah, OBP, obp is scary is, for adolis <laughs> yeah obp is even still scary so it's like you know it's like so that those are tough things at least a rosarena can make those respectable which i'm not sure if garcia does but I mean, just the power upside. I mean, the power is legitimate. I mean, it's like you look at him's hard hit rates, EV, launch angle, barrels. I mean, I think he's has the most upside of the of the three. Um, the one question I do have is stolen bases. Uh, you know, you have a new manager in Bruce Bochy, and I don't have the exact stats, but you know, growing up in Northern California and watching a lot of San Francisco Giants baseball and watching a lot of Bruce Bochy coach San Francisco Giants baseball. You know, he's not a guy that's prone to run um, with his guys. Um, yeah, and, and that could be part of it, just roster compilation. You know, it's, you know, Brian Sabian didn't necessarily give him the, the guys to run. But, um, you know, you know, he stole 25 bases last year. Like, I'm not sh sure if he matches that under Bochi unless, like, Bochi changes. Um, but, I mean, with that lineup, it's like, you know, he's going to have those RBI possibilities. I mean, he had 101 last year. So I like him as more an RBI play. Um, yeah, I, I guess like if you if if I if I had to choose, you know, I if I if I'm looking if I'm looking for like a third outfielder, I'm going Garcia. If I'm kind of a guy that's like, hey, I need an outfielder that I can be more 
depending on, I probably go Randy. Okay, John, what about this one? Uh, yeah, I get irrational when it comes to Adelis, and I just I think he's so good, even though the the some of the stats might not agree with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that I mean the average is definitely uh not great. Um, there there is a lot of risk there, but I think what he gives you in counting stats. Um, you know, RBI's obviously doing well there, home runs, uh, stolen bases. He's he's as good as any other fast guy, in my opinion. Um, I, I just think, like, for me, I, if I can get, you know, let's just say four categories out of auto lease and, um, you know, discounting average, I think that's better than what I can get from Randy in, in those same counting stats. Um, he's going to have, you know, more RBI's for sure. He had more runs last year. Um, stolen bases, obviously Randy had him by seven, but then um, Adelise had seven more homers than him. Like, we, we know the power's legit for Adelise. We know he's going to get to probably 25 every season from here on out. So I think for me, I, I'm going to actually go with Adelise here. Wow, that means I'm the tiebreaker, and I'm going to go with Randy Arozarena. And that's mainly because I play in a lot of OBP leagues, especially when I do money leagues and big money leagues. I play in a lot of OBP, so... My personal preference, obviously, is that kind of format, and in that format, Randy's much better. But throwing all the bias away, if you're just in a standard 5x5, five five, they're very similar, but I just think Randy's ability to steal is a little bit better than Adolis Garcia. Like Kevin mentioned, we don't know how much he's going to run with Bruce Bochy in command, and obviously, I like the the Rangers lineup context a lot better. I think they're going to be really good this season, but Adolis can just go through a two-month rough patch where he's not hitting the ball at all, and not saying he's going to be replaced or sent down, but that could be a possibility with the slew of Rangers prospects that they have that can play at any given time. So I'm not saying he's going to lose his job because I think he's well enough earned it across two seasons that he's played. But I feel like if he goes into a rough stretch, he could be benched or platooned or something like that kind of scares me with that. Whereas Randy is cemented in his role and in his job, but Adolis just seems a little bit of a wild card in that aspect. But, I mean, the stats have been phenomenal the entire time, so it's a tough call to make. I'll take Randy just because, mainly like Kevin said, the stability. I want someone, especially if you're drafting in the third or fourth round, I don't want to take a guy who has a bunch of red flag question marks, low batting average, low OBP. I don't want that kind of headache on my team. So give me (laughs) Randy in that spot. If you're giving me a Dolis like four or five rounds later, I'll take that instead of Randy. But Mm -hmm. if they're going around the same place, which Harris, Mullins, Adolis, Randy are all kind of going around that during draft season, then I will take Randy. But that wraps up the interview with Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, thank you so much for talking about your article, Randy Arozarena Complicated Star with us. We really appreciated it. Hopefully you had a good time. And before you go, make sure you uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me on and, and letting me just talk about some share some thoughts about Randy and those other players and um, they can find me at um, on Twitter at Royal Report Kev so capital R capital R capital K Royal Report Kev and you can find me at royalsreporter.com and of course you can find my work on pitcher list for the going deep and batted box sections this year well that's fantastic thank you again Kevin for your time we really appreciate it thank you so much now moving on to the MLB news since the last podcast we start with some upsetting news from Atlanta Max Freed was pulled with a hamstring injury. It's uncertain on when he'll return, but he'll most definitely need an IL stint, so not good for Max Freed. Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians had a right terrace major muscle strain. He'll be on the 15-day IL, but will miss close to two months, maybe more. 
Justin Verlander of the Mets will also be placed on the IL with a low-grade Terrace Major muscle strain, which is kind of rough. He said he'll still be throwing, and if it were the playoffs, he'd pitch through it. Now, the main difference here is I think Tristan McKenzie tore his, and Justin Verlander just has a little bit of a strain, but... Still, not good for a 40-year-old pitcher to have this kind of strain on his muscles. I mean, can't be a good thing at all. But hopefully Verlander's okay, for my sake at least. Kyle Wright of the Braves has right shoulder inflammation. He'll be placed on the 15-day IL. Joe Mantiply of the Diamondbacks also has shoulder inflammation, but the left shoulder. He'll be placed on the 15-day IL. James McCann of the Orioles has a left oblique strain and will be placed on the 10-day IL. Joey Votto of the Reds has a left shoulder injury and will be placed on the 10-day IL. Daniel Bard, this is an interesting one because I think it's a good thing, and he's been very open about this, but he was placed on the IL due to anxiety. He was actually out of the majors for seven years due to having very bad anxiety and having the yips, and it affected his career, and then he came back and was strong with it, but I guess maybe because of the WBC and having that bad performance, maybe that brought it back and really brought the anxiety back to opening day. So very strange. Any comment on that, John? I mean, I think that's such a weird point. And I mean, obviously, it's something that everyone deals with nowadays. And a lot of people are more open about mental health stuff. So the fact that someone Mm -hmm. went on the IL with anxiety is an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing to like kind of remove the the stigma in terms of like, oh, just work through the. Yeah, I agree. I Um, agree. Yeah. And so. And this is something that, you know, not every pitcher deals with, but a decent amount deal with. And so I think it's good that they're taking this approach, um, you know, just take some time, uh, you know, get stuff figured out. Um, and hopefully he's back and, and, and ready to play. Yeah, I'm rooting for him. I hope he pitches well when he comes back and kind of shakes that anxiety off. Bo Brisky of the Tigers has right upper arm discomfort. He'll be placed on the 15-day I.L. Ryan Pepio of the Dodgers has a left oblique strain, will be placed on the 15-day IL. Michael Grove will take his place in the rotation. Griffin Canning of the Angels has a left groin strain and will be on the 15-day IL. Jared Walsh of the Angels has headaches and insomnia. He'll be placed on the 10-day IL. Max Stassi of the Angels has a left hip strain. He'll be placed on the 10-day IL. And the most interesting part about that is that Logan Ohapi will take his place and was the opening day catcher. So, a lot of good hope for Logan Ohapi because there's good rumors around him that he's going to be great. He's also from Long Island, so shout out to him because I'm from there as well. Good for him. Luis Arias of the Brewers has a left hamstring injury. His status is uncertain at the moment, so we'll have to wait and see on Arias. Adrian Hauser of the Brewers has right groin tightness, will be placed on the 15-day IL. Eliezer Hernandez of the Mets has a right shoulder strain. He'll be placed on the 15-day IL, and we might have just cursed him because... Apparently, whenever we talk about anybody on this podcast, they get hurt, and I don't like it. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, sorry, Eliezer. JT Brubaker of the Pirates has right elbow discomfort. He'll be placed on the 15-day IL, and uh, we also might have cursed him as well. (laughs) Sorry, JT Brubaker. Yeah, it it happens. That's our new motto. It happens. You get talked about on the This Week at Fast Baseball podcast, and you get an injury. Yeah, it's not good. People are going to start paying us to not talk about them. (laughs) Exactly. Giovanni Gallegos of the Cardinals has lower back tightness, and he's day-to-day currently. And last but not least, Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals got hit by a 103-mile-per-hour Jordan Hicks pitch on his right knee while he was catching. He is listed a day-to-day for now. It is apparently okay, and it's just a contusion. So thankfully, I mean, that could have been way worse. So 
gladly Wilson Contreras, the catcher that they got in the offseason, is going to be all right. So any comments on any of these injuries, John? Um, maybe just a few more details about the whole Tristan McKenzie and um, Justin Verlander stuff, right? Yeah. Like, um, according to Lucas Seahaver, he's kind of a guy who's on Twitter. He does He's a physical therapist, but he also does some twins analysis. But he basically says that it's likely that um, Tristan McKenzie has, like, a much higher grade strain. Yeah, um, right. That's what, what I heard. I didn't right. know if it was a tear or a higher grade strain. Right, yeah. So, you know, the eight-way recovery kind of, uh, you know, indicates it's you know grade one or grade two and then the Mets said that Verlander had a low grade strain right, right. so that's why he's able to kind of continue so just a you know a bit for information about that you know why it's like oh they have the same injury why is one guy you know worse than the other and, and that's kind of what's going on there obviously I hate to see Max Fried um kind of deal with with that yeah um all of a sudden just pitching well and then just oh ne- never mind I'm running the first base then I pull a hamstring you know it just happens and yep um yeah, other than that, you know, like um, it's day one of Major League Baseball. People get hurt, so um, not not too surprising here. Hopefully, this list stays short for the rest of the season. Amen. Uh, but knowing how this list usually uh, develops over the course of this year, um, there's a good likelihood that we're going to accidentally curse one of your favorite players. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Chris Bryant yet, so that's shocking. It's true. He's actually healthy, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, I hope he stays healthy, by the way. I don't want to jinx him at all. I hope he stays healthy, but yeah, right. we talked well, about him a lot last time. we talked about season. him, so we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. But yeah, no, that's a great point on both McKenzie and Verlander. And it's funny because every MLB season, there's always a new injury I learn about that I've never heard of before. Like, oh, yeah. right terrace major muscle strain. Like, never heard that combination of words in my life. What was it last year that DeGrom got hurt with? I can't remember what it, it was. Was it a scapulus or scapula? I forget what it was. Yeah, it was some weird injury. I just remember, like, oh, that's a thing? Um, okay, cool. <laughs> and then, of course, then he was out for a season, so it wasn't that cool, but... <laughs> Yeah, we always get these random injuries I've never heard about, but it's you know crazy that two people have the same injury, but one's obviously a higher scale than the other. So yep. hopefully Verlander and McKenzie both come back strong. But moving on to the transactions before we wrap things up here, the players optioned to triple A were Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles. It's surprising since Baltimore's front office was saying he'd be on the opening day roster, but I think this is mainly a performance issue because mm-hmm. unlike when some people say, oh, we need to see more from this guy and... You know, we got to keep him in the minors a little bit longer. Grayson Rodriguez is actually terrible in spring. Yeah, so, it wasn't look good. Yeah, they gave him every chance, and I think if he pitched well in spring, he was going to make the team. Like, I genuinely can say that would have been the case. Mm-hmm. But Grayson Rodriguez kind of did himself in there. So hopefully he'll be able to get stretched out a little bit more and pitch well and then make the team eventually. He'll be up this year for sure. Yeah. Christian Pache was traded from the Oakland Athletics to the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Philadelphia Phillies optioned him to Triple A. What's crazy about this is Pache was like the main centerpiece in the Matt Olson trade from Atlanta. And just one year later, they got rid of him. And obviously, Estieri Ruiz in that whole deal, and they got him back and they want to give him a chance. But to think mm-hmm. that you traded Matt Olson, who was an all star caliber player that year that you traded him, to get one of this kind of caliber prospects as well as some other pieces, but then just one year later, you gave up on him completely. Yeah. is kind of mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to A. I mean, it's it, it's kind of surprising how maybe poorly run that organization has been in the last few years. Yeah. Um, 
just thinking about how like there literally isn't anyone on their roster. I mean, like Estuaries is like kind of fun. Yeah. Um, right. Seth Brown is maybe like their only guy who's like consistently on like a majority of fantasy teams. Yep. Um, and obviously, you know, fantasy and real life are a little bit different, but this team is just hot garbage. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of tough to see because like they, you know for a long time they've been you know really well run MLB team. It's just for yes. the past few years it's just been really really terrible. Yeah, they were a team you could root for because they spent very little money, but they had players like Matt Olson and Matt Chapman and mm-hmm. Ramon Laureano, like just guys you can get behind that you know were good players, and they just gave good players a shot, and it worked. And now yep. it's just like a disaster. I mean, they're giving people shots still, but they're all like fringe players so those are people you shouldn't be giving shots right exactly exactly (laughs) oswald peraza was optioned to triple a after losing the shortstop job to anthony volpe which i'm kind of surprised by that but also not because volpe really earned that job so yeah it was a weird situation because peraza was definitely the best defend better defender but volpe had a better bat yeah and so usually offense wins out because you can make up for the defense usually um, so, I mean, Peraza is definitely going to, you know, be up in the majors at, at some point this season. Um, and, and so we'll see how that whole thing, and we, we're not sure Volpe is a sure thing too, right? Yeah, right. Um, he did look okay on opening day, but you know, the, who's to say in two months that, you know, he, he gets optioned back to AAA and they bring Peraza back up. Right. Yeah. Volpe could be optioned. They could be doing bad in the standings and decide to trade Glaber Torres halfway through and bring up Peraza. Like there's so many different things that could happen that brings Peraza mm-hmm. up or, Things move around, so definitely could see him up soon. Brett Beatty of the Mets and Mark Vientos of the Mets were both optioned to AAA as well, which is upsetting to see as a Mets fan, but we'll see them eventually this season. And then the rookies that got promoted to the majors, the big ones at least, Jordan Walker of the Cardinals, Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, Blake Sable, and Bryce Terang of the Brewers, which are... All pretty decently big names. I mean, Bryce Terang, more so not for fantasy, more real life. Same with Blake Sable, maybe in the deepest of yeah. leagues mm-hmm. that those two are viable. But Volpe and Walker are the exciting ones for fantasy. For sure, yeah. And Walker is kind of interesting, too, because, you know, he's he's a third baseman by trade. But obviously, they've got Nolan Arenado there. So he's playing left in, in, in St. Louis now. Um, and, you know, that's shuffled a few outfielders around in St. Louis. Um but we'll see how that all shakes out, too, for, for both uh, Walker and Volpe. Um, Sable, I think there was, like, a fun conversation in, in on the Discord today where I think Sable's, like, one of the few, like, left-handed left fielders in Giants history um, or, some you know, something uh, to the gist of that. Right. Um, more or less, they're like, oh, you know, it's, it's nice that this guy made it up. We're, we're not sure if it's going to work out, but, um, hey, good for him. And then, yeah, Bryce Terang, former first-round draft pick um you know big news to have him come up and join the team yeah for sure but that wraps up everything for this episode of this week in fantasy baseball before you go make sure that you follow us on twitter at this week pl and send us your comments and questions to our email at this week pl pod at gmail.com you can find john on twitter at the john ka that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E and myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. 
Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week, opening day week. So exciting. It's great to be back into the swing of things. I'm so excited baseball's back. But we will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.